Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, AM 1220 KNEW presents New Focus on Wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton. Drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Into a special episode of New Focus on Wealth. This time, the special means Rob Black is joining CFP Chad Burton, and CFP Chad Burton is joining Rob Black. Speaking of wealth, it's that time of year when people are playing baseball in the fall. The fall classic, Yogi Berra, who was a little bit before my time and way before CFP Chad Burton, when you focus on wealth time, was wise in his own muddled kind of way. He once said, if you don't know where you're going, you might end up somewhere else. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. Chad, we don't have to make it all about baseball. But building a team, I'm going to let you talk about this one. If you don't know where you're going, you might end up someplace else. What's that mean to you as a financial planner? Well, it's interesting because I can tell you that pretty much when you, the first financial plan you do for a younger person and you forecast how much a person's going to be at a certain age when they want to retire and, and uh, you know, here's what the income looks like in retirement, it's going to be wrong. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely going to be wrong because First of all, of those plans, you have you know linear cash flow projections, and the market's you know not linear. It doesn't give us constant rates of return of ten percent. Uh, it's all over the place, like this year, way above that, right? Um, and then things change. People come to us all the time, and they say, "Well, what about buying this second home? What about buying this rental property? What does it look like if I send my kid to this college versus this college?" What if I retire early, but I go back to work doing something part time? Um, or like I w- I'm an engineer now, but I'd really like to go back and teach math for five or 10 years because I'm, t- I'm sick of this job. But at least they have a foundation, a, a, a plan built where they can run scenarios, run those what if scenarios, because we're constantly thrown different decision, you know, different choices that we have to make and, and, and some decisions are kind of hard to make. And honestly, when it comes to money, there's never one, just one right decision besides should you invest and save? Yeah, you should be saving 10 to 15% of your pay from the day you start working. But other than that, there's a lot of choices and, and, you know, if, unless you have that basic map, you're right. You know, you're, you don't know where you're going. Let's talk about your situation because <clears throat> I think it's all about getting your financial house in order with a financial plan. It kind of, Make sure nothing's too wobbly. But some people have children later in life. Um, I definitely got married later in life and had children later in life. But you have a very interesting scenario. You have a big gap between your children's ages, yeah. um, both from the top to the bottom and from third 
to the fourth. Um, so that's changing financial plan just a wee bit, I would imagine. Is that an a fair assumption? Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying he didn't see that one coming, but (laughs) maybe he didn't see that one coming. Let's let's put me on the spot. Just because I've had one kid that just graduated from college and one that just went into kindergarten. Yes, is that what you're trying to? (laughs) Well, it's. um, I I think Rob, for me, what's changed it a little bit more is just kind of looking at other families and looking how kids live their life, and you go through these periods of time with your kids where you know you're everything, and then those years are. I don't want to have anything to do with you, right? So you kind of get those years and in, in certain part of teenage life where, you know, they would rather hang with their friends or, you know, play sports or video games or whatever they're they're into versus do something with the parents. And then they kind of come back and then they want to do stuff with the parents. They want to travel, they want to do some things. And then they go back into like late college where going on a family vacation, especially if there's younger siblings involved, doesn't sound that attractive when they could go to spring break with their college buddies or their college friends. And the thing that I've also noticed is how I want retirement to be like. Like I have, just with my grandfather, even though you know he got me into the business, we had by the end you know different businesses because I started a fee-only firm, but he still was you know attempting to work into his 80s. And for most of that period of time, he could do it. And the, the people that I see that are the happiest in retirement, they kind of keep their hand in the pot in some way, shape, or form. Whether or not they sold a tech company, but they sit on several different boards to help other companies flourish. And they, they're some sort of a mentor in their industry mm-hmm. or, or some other industry that they can still help in. Or whether it's a lot of volunteer work. Um, they seem to be the happiest. So I don't have any problem. I, I do not think of retirement as, a, as age 65, really. Right. Okay. I, I'm always wanting to build businesses and, um, you know, create jobs and have, I, I just don't sit around well. It's not my personality type. I cannot imagine right now in my life just retiring and doing nothing. There's a lot of places I want to travel, but I always have to have a project, if you know what I mean. Um, so I've just been spending more than I ever thought I would in terms of vacationing with my kids, um, you know, doing things that the memories will last forever. And yeah, my wife said to me the other day, she said, enjoy these years while they last. I said, I know, I know, trust me. I was a teenager and I remember those years fondly. Um, let's wrap this segment up a little bit in the next two or three minutes, focusing on the unique goals of if you don't know where you're going, you might end up someplace else. What's some of the unique goals some potential uh, financial planning candidates should have for getting to where they want to go to in life? Well, first of all, it's a you know assessment of what your expenses are now and then what you want retirement to be like. So what are you going to do to get yourself out of bed and motivate you in retirement? You, you can, you know, anybody can track their own expenses. You do not need to pay a financial advisor to track your expenses. You should be walking into the financial planning meeting with a basic list of what you spend money on and a basic knowledge of where you're kind of overspending and where you could do better. Um, but then retirement is like, okay, I've got to set a goal, a portfolio value where if I get to a certain portfolio value, then when I'm 65, Three and a half percent of that portfolio value will support my spending of what I want my retirement to truly be like. Um, then you throw in other issues like, okay, well, do you have a goal to sell this current house in the Bay Area and then you know downsize and then also get a house in 
Arizona or something like that. You know, everybody's a little bit different in terms of where they want to be. But Rob, I can also tell you that if you're doing that and then 20 years from now you have grandkids, again, that plan isn't really where you're going now because things change a lot. I've seen people like live their life 10 years in RVs until they have grandkids and then they move to Colorado so they can be next to their grandkids and life totally changes again. Sure. And sometimes it's for very compassionate reasons. Like yeah, they want to be near their grandkids so they can be the daycare for the grandkids. Um, and let both parents work and kind of define their own meaning, so to speak, which after a lot of therapy, I found out is really important for my wife to have her own meaning. And that's part of what we're going with with retirement as well. Maybe in the next segment, we could talk another Yogi Berra quote, because there is one more that kind of interests me on how you would interpret it. Um, It's 90% of the game is half mental. Um, Did you grow up with baseball in your life, Chad? (laughs) That's 90% of the game is half mental. What's the quote from... uh from weatherman like 60% of the time it works 100% of the time <laughs> or my uh, favorite stat 3 out of 4 people in america make up 75% of people in america <laughs> there you go yeah now i've totally lost train of thought of where we're going with it but um we can well, let's get it, let's get into that in the next segment <laughs> because it can certainly wait let me give you a big commercial here you can find cfp chad burton at chadburton.com he is a certified financial planner i realized 20 plus years ago that working with him would make my job a lot easier I wanted to do wealth creation, how to pick stocks, how to pick together portfolios. But then I saw when the clients came to me that they had complicated issues like funding of college and funding of retirement, things that a good stock picker just never really got to. It's a very special edition of New Focus on Wealth. Today, you get both of us, CFP Chad Burton and Rob Black. I grew up overseas and because I did, I somehow got tied to the Yankees. The New York Yankees is my sports team in baseball, which... I didn't pick them because they were winners back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Um, I wasn't a guy. Um, I did it because that's how I learned how to read, reading box scores. Um, a famous Yankee is a guy named Yogi Berra. And every fall classic World Series time, we bring him up in financial planning. A couple of things that he has said really apply well. If you don't know where you're going, you might end up someplace else. That's tied towards your financial goals. Uh, he once said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. I don't know what that means other than perseverance is the key to progress for sure. But bringing in the final quote that I want to hit is CFP Chad Burton. 90% of the game is half mental. You and I both know there's like financial, behavioral financial classes that are taught in the CFP world, trying to get in the minds of the clients to help them, to help better understand what they need and how to get them there. What are your thoughts on 90% of the game is half mental? It is. It's because so. Here's here's the mental aspect of investing, right? You're, most people are just plugging money into their 401k every two weeks. And for most periods of time, they're just watching the market increase, increase, increase. And they're buying stocks, buying stocks. And you know they go through periods where it corrects, but they're buying more so they don't notice the correction quite as much because they're adding money to it all the time. And you have a paycheck and... So you're 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 just kind of thinking of this portfolio as off to the side for the future. Mm-hmm. Once people retire, their risk tolerance totally changes because that paycheck stops. That biweekly deposit into the checking account is now gone from your employer. And everything that you have is either going to come from Social Security or this portfolio and or like rental properties and things like that. So people tend to watch their portfolio more the first part of retirement. And unless they educate themselves really on how stocks and the stock market works, 
prior to that period of time and brace themselves for those corrections that we have, they start to panic. And then that's when they make mistakes because they didn't know. They didn't think about how they were going to react. They didn't know what they were going to do if the market declined. They didn't know how often it typically declines. Um, And so what I constantly do when I talk to people is run financial planning projections at a conservative rate of return to make sure that they can last if we go through a period of time like 2007 to 2017. And then always talk about how we're prepping for the corrections. Like, you know, hey, the good times, they're 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 here 70% of the time. I mean, just look at this year. Market's up, what, 18%? The good times, you know, they, they're easy. Yep. Just watch things go up. But hey, by the way, Mr. Miss Client, you're, you don't forget about the bad times. The market is positive 70% of the time. It's negative 30% of the time. The average decline when it is negative is 13%. So if you have a portfolio that's large enough to retire... You know, that on a $2 million portfolio could be a $260,000 loss on paper. So think about that a little bit, right? Yep. Um, how, how are you going to react? Because if you don't know what to do, how to do it, or, or what's going to happen, mm-hmm. then you could be panic and selling and you could be turning paper losses into real losses and you could ruin your retirement from one correction. You know, those that panicked out in 2009 and sold never went back in more than likely their retirement's ruined and they had to go back to work. The people that panicked this last year in April and sold out missed on huge returns. What were you doing? I was reallocating portfolios, buying some small cap value. Some of those funds are up like 78% since the lows last year. And so you've got to look at corrections as, as opportunities to rebalance and buy. And uh, I think that's that's really clear. And then if you have a plan, if you're constantly... When we meet with clients on quarterly reviews, once they're retired, we're typically talking about you know family planning issues, estate planning. Okay, how are we going to rebalance the portfolio, peel off some of the growth and replenish some of the cash that you spent? So we're always prepping for the next correction that we really don't know when the next one's going to come. I mean, we went 11 months without even a 5% correction. Typically, you have 3 5 to 7% corrections every year. That's the norm, right? And when there's a 5% correction, doubt starts creeping in. The mental aspect of investing starts creeping in. But when things are good, the mental aspect is, woo, um, inactivity. Don't do mm-hmm. anything. But when you are forced with that thought of do something, I think I told you during the commercial break, one of the best things I ever did was nothing in my portfolio. Um, and the 401k has proven me out that just put in money every two weeks, every two weeks, every two weeks, every two weeks, look back on it in not one year, but five, 10, 15, 20. And it's been quite impressive. But on one year, eh, not so impressive. Yeah, because because over long terms, like you know, having emerging markets and international pays off. But over this last year, eh, not so much, right? But that's okay. I'd, I'd be buying more of that stuff right now, anyway. I mean, yeah, it, it's funny, Rob, because people, as soon as they find out, you know, I manage money for a living, they automatically assume I do a ton of trading, right? And I don't. <laughs> you know, I look at more you know, top-down analysis, like where are we wanting to overweight and underweight slightly and making small moves and and sticking to portfolio goals, rebalancing when you need to. Sometimes that means paying taxes. And that's what we're dealing with, with a lot of people this year where I'm, I'm calling them like, look, just to let you know, um, it, we are going to have to trim some of your assets because you're getting your portfolio is getting too aggressive for what we're trying to do here. But that means you might be paying some more taxes this year. But that's okay because taxes are likely going to go up next year on capital gains. So sticking with the strategy is very important. When you're younger and you're just plugging away money into stocks, that's totally fine. But I mean, we can go into the idea of 
why a balanced portfolio works yep. so well. Let's retirement. talk about that because on air, I've said some of the stupidest things ever when I say I own 100% stocks. I'm not into bonds. They're not yielding enough. I'll get there, but I'm not there yet. But now my age started to creep up where I need to get there. Thoughts? Yeah, well, I think uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, once you once you start to get into your fifties, you got to say, okay, if I'm going to retire at sixty five, I got to slowly transition my portfolio to a balanced portfolio. Yep. And that's harder to do now than ever because bonds are the I'm historically low income, right? And and interest rates are going up, so the overall bond market's down a little over two and a half percent right now for the year. Um, and we we still expect rates to go a little bit higher. So honestly, I'm you know lighter on bonds and most balanced portfolios than we typically are. Um, so I get that it's it's a little bit tougher right now. Fixed income and bonds is the hardest part. But I think if we continue to talk about this in the next segment, mm-hmm. on the biggest part of drawing on your portfolio, timing the market on the way of building wealth doesn't matter. The only thing you should think of is when the market has those ten twenty percent declines, is how can you buy more right then and there? Not not should you sell out, but how can I buy more? But timing the market is everything in retirement, meaning. Do not start selling assets when the market has declined and locking in paper losses. And a balanced portfolio will tend to recover a lot quicker than a full stock portfolio. Even though the long-term rate of return can be higher with stocks, as you're drawing money out, you could have a lower rate of return and end up with more money on a balanced portfolio. It kind of sounds weird, right? Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass or the wait. I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirado Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiradopass.com. A lot of content here about getting to your financial goals, but to get to your financial goals, you have to define them. If you don't define them and you have a lot of wealth, then you need a financial planner. As you get older, a financial planner will help you guide age 60 to 100 without a lot of financial hiccups when you don't have time to recover and where you might not have the cognitive power that you used to have to make proper decisions with your choices of money. To bring in CFP, Chad Burton, Chad Burton and I are talking and we've jumped from behavioral finance, which is important for sure. It's a part of the game. We've talked about having a plan and a roadmap to get you to where you want to go. But let's talk about the common thing you and I run into. Portfolios that are kind of awesome, but then also problematic all at the same time. Um, stock market's had a great run. You get exposed to the stock market. It's, it's been very, very good. The little girl with a curl. But if it goes bad, how bad can it get, Chad? Well, I mean, you look at a situation where uh, in from October 2007 to March of 2009, the stock market was down 57% from its peak. So think about that for a minute. Now, that was an enormous buying opportunity for those that had cash. So if during that period of time, you stuck with what most of what you owned, besides certain financial stocks that you might want to have ditched, right? Sure. Um, and you reinvested your dividends and then found ways to buy even more money. I mean, the returns since then are insane. Uh, and the market's up over 100% just even from last year's major correction. So... Um, you know, when you're when you're building wealth, timing the market doesn't matter. You should just kind of, you know, say, okay. And when I do see those large declines, anything over ten percent, that's a huge buying opportunity for either the next five years or if it's twenty percent, the next ten years. Because every five to seven years, we'll get those twenty percent corrections. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
And so when you're building wealth, it doesn't matter. I don't care if you're all stocks. That's totally up to you. As long as you can, you know, as long as you're not going to panic and sell and try to go all in and go all out and make those mistakes, um, you know, go for it. But timing the market is everything once you're retired and you're drawing on your portfolio, especially really only if you're withdrawing more than your dividends and interest. So most stocks pay dividends, bonds pay interest. If you go into retirement and you're drawing more than that, you're ended up drawing principal. If the market's positive 70% of the time and negative 30% of the time, 30% of the time, if you're averaging out, you're selling at a horrible time. You're locking in paper losses during a correction. So you have to set up your portfolio so it's balanced. And so you have enough cash on the sidelines to get through that time. So let me give you an example, right? If we look at investing at the top of the market in October of 2007, right? The bottom of the market was March of 2009. And remember that because if you remember, I set up that conference call for all of our clients on March of 2000, March 12th, 2009, saying this has gone way too far. Do not panic out. Do not sell. This is way too low for what stocks are actually doing. And oddly enough, that was what three days past the bottom. So I think those those interesting times for sure. That was a rough period, right, Rob? Yeah. 2007. Oh gosh, it's you wake up uh, and you're like, I haven't had a call like this in a couple months, couple years. And uh, when clients get nervous, they're really like, you do a good job of keeping them calm, keeping them calm. So when clients do get nervous, something's popped up, right? Yeah. You, well, you well, you go through periods of time where you can tell. So everything is is based on what a company is is. You know, selling, that's the revenue, what their costs are. And then what's left over is the profit. So you can, you know, look at things like, okay, revenue was growing at such a rate. Now it's declined a certain amount. Let's say it's declined 8%, but the stock is down 30%, 40%. Then you can see where people have panicked out. And that's a buying opportunity. You just have to, you know, stick with the program, really. But I, I just want to point out that, like, if you're retired and you are all in stocks, the market, bottomed out March of 2009, but it took until August 12th, 2012, three years later for stocks to break even. So you went from 2007 to August 2012, from the peak down to the bottom, back up to where, where, where stocks were. Right? That, that was a long period of time where you shouldn't be selling stocks. You know, Most people can't afford to do that in retirement. They are drawing some principal. What type of environment, in your opinion, do bonds do well in? What, like, what should we be looking for where we go, ooh, that's going to outperform stocks? Oh, well, or, maybe, or maybe never, because historically stocks are like 10% returns. Bonds are like 4 to 5% returns, which sounds kind of funny to say out loud. Well, so they're, they're, bonds have only had that higher, you know, almost double-digit returns for the last decade because rates have been dropping. Right, and so that that's over now. Going forward, it's pretty much expect the yield on the bonds, which is you know anywhere from two to three percent on conservative bonds. So, but going back to okay, let's say a person went into retirement with a sixty percent stock, forty percent bond portfolio in October two thousand seven. Their portfolio broke even two years earlier, Rob. So instead of that person that was all stocks and they broke even August 2012, during that credit crisis and that drop, the portfolio is a 60% stock, 40% bond would have broke even in 2010. So that was two years earlier where you could have started selling assets out of your portfolio again without risking locking in losses. And a 40% uh, equity, 60% bond portfolio, that actually broke even 
on uh, uh, January 8th, 2010. So 11 months even earlier than that. So what can happen in retirement if you're drawing on your portfolio? Yeah, you could look at a 60-40 portfolio that has a lower average annual rate of return, right? But when you model it out and you're taking money out of the portfolio, the 60-40 portfolio is less volatile. So you're doing less selling during negative periods. You could actually end up with more money. It's, it's, it's a weird game of math, but you, you start to see this like diminished return, extra return for extra risk in retirement when you go from a you know, balanced portfolio of 50-50 up to 100% stock portfolio. If you go much over like 70% stocks in retirement, your average annual rate of return really isn't that much more. And that's if you were leaving it alone. But if you're drawing out, it actually could end up less. So if we look at a long-term period, like, like let's just look at like 1996 to the end of 2020. Uh-huh. Um, large cap stocks have averaged 9%, but a 60-40 portfolio averaged 7.8%. And the standard deviation of a large cap portfolio was 15%. In other words, the, the return could be 15% higher or 15% lower than the average, where it's only a standard deviation of 9.3. So you know, not quite half, but the, the lows, the declines are so much lower on a balanced portfolio when the market comes down. And because it takes less time for the market to recover, you go through periods of time where stock, all stock portfolio will outperform drastically a 60-40 portfolio. And then the declines come. And then uh, that's when the 60-40 portfolio catches up. So I like to, to set aside my portfolio draws. You know what that, that number is, right? We, we calculate what does a person need to pay everything? Your expenses, your taxes, your insurance costs, everything. Minus your guaranteed income like social security and pensions. And in some cases, we might do rental income if it's a very stable rental property. What's left over is how much you have to take out of your portfolio each year. And I need three years worth of that in cash set aside and FDIC insured accounts or T-bills, you know, something that's totally safe. And the rest of the portfolio, you know, if you're going much more than 65% stocks, 5% in alternatives like commodities and real estate and, and 35% bond or 30% bonds, you're kind of being too aggressive. You don't really need to go more than that. Okay. So is that inflationary periods, does that change the approach to bonds or non-inflationary periods? Does that change your approach to stock allocation? Yeah. I mean, inflationary periods that are from growth and interest rates have to be raised either, you know, slow the economy down from going into hyperinflation or deal with stagflation like the late 70s, early 80s, rising rates are tough on bonds. So you, you go a little bit light on bonds. You change your allocation in bonds to be a little bit more strategic versus owning just the core indexes of bonds. Um, you know, we, we own some core bonds and we own some strategic income like floating rate and some kind of go anywhere bond funds. Our bond portfolio is actually positive for the year where the Barclays aggregate bond index is negative for the year. So we're very we're very focused on active bond managers right now. I'm not a big fan of bond indexes right now in a raising rate, rising rate environment. Remember when we got into this industry, there was a rule of thumb that was something like your percentage of bonds should be 120 minus your age. That no longer applies, right? No, no, not not when yields are historically low. Most people are. It, it's actually kind of like the reverse of that. What used to be a 40-60 portfolio... 
which is you know 100 minus your age of 60, you'd have 60% bonds. That's totally flipped now. Fantastic. Um, rule of thumbs yeah. to break, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. We should do a show dedicated to just rule of thumbs that no longer apply. Yeah. Like, well, do you remember when you actually defined what rule of thumb meant when we looked that up? Ed, yeah, do you want to tell everyone or shall I? You go, you go for it. It was back in the uh, 1800s when judges would say you can hit your wife, but only with a stick the size of your thumb. So that was the rule of thumb. You can't hit her with a stick bigger. I, then it becomes a bat. And I'm not going to get into this because I'm about to get canceled if I go any further. But it's about to say, I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with that. It. <laughs> now, now you're canceled. You, it's not so that, yeah, it's like, I can't believe that a law like that existed in our country right now. It's just insane. I think it was more European. So we're European. going to Europeans on that yeah. one. Yeah. Oh, it's pre-1800s. Okay. We'll do that. Yeah. Recently, we've seen consumer prices rise 5.4% year over year. And recently, we've seen the Social Security benefit check go up 5.9% year over year, bringing the benefit to, on average, $1,657 a month, up from $1,565 a month, which is interesting that we define it on a monthly basis versus an annual. But... It's easier to do. So Chad, that's a, a benefit that people can expect to get in retirement. For now, they can expect it, right? But they can also... Part of that story was the inflation. Consumer price inflation was high. And you know, I've talked in the past about how retirees face a different kind of inflation than, say, people like you and I who are buying TVs and Xboxes. Um, TVs go down and you get bigger every single year. Healthcare costs just seem to go bigger every year. And maybe not the better care goes with it. What are some of the crazy price increases retirees can expect? Well, I mean, if we look back at... There was a year, a couple of years ago, there was one of the first times where Social Security did not have an increase because eh, there's no inflation. Mm-hmm. But then that same year, Medicare Part B premiums increased by 5%. Now, um, this, this, the, for 2021, um, there was a very small, like a $4 a month increase in Medicare Part B premiums mm-hmm. because under the terms, I think of the last spending bill, the increase for 2021 was limited to like 25% of what it otherwise would have been. So it was supposed to be more like a, a $16 increase in Medicare premiums, which was quite a large inflation number. So what happens in retirement, and there's actually calls for things like Social Security to be measured against different forms of inflation. So like what most families face, Rob, I think a better inflation rate uh, number to use is the CPIU number, CPI urban. Um, and then there's other inflation indexes that are, ge- that are geared more towards seniors because that's more of a healthcare cost. And that's why everybody talks about the smiley face spending plan in retirement. Oh, right? I can see where this is going. Yeah. You get, well, you, you retire, you do all the things you didn't have time to do, right? So a lot of times your travel costs go up, you buy an RV and travel the country. You're doing a bunch of things that you haven't had time to do on your house. And so you spend more money the first several years of retirement. And then you get into your you know, mid to late 70s and you just don't want to travel as much. So you, know, you don't go out as much, you don't eat out as much. And so your spending starts to decline. We've all had you know, grandparents and things like that that you know, eat very little for breakfast and you know, a small lunch and then a little bit for dinner. They just don't eat as much, right? right? And then you get into your late 70s and you're going to the doctor a lot more. You're fixing your teeth. You're, you, know, you, you have those healthcare costs. You might need some 
you know, knee replacement, hip replacement, you have to fall and spend a little bit of time in a nursing home or need some home health care, and your 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 spending starts to increase again to the same level where it was the first part of retirement, but it's on different items. So spending is definitely not linear. And there's a lot of things people forget to put in their spending plan in retirement, like the fact that you might need to remodel your house or do maintenance or put on a new roof or buy a new car every seven to 10 years, um, help with kids' weddings, gifts that you're going to end up doing for the grandkids. All those things cost more money due to inflation. So it's something that people tend to overlook a bit. Um, It's interesting. You brought up healthcare costs and you brought up taking care of your teeth. And one of the dumbest financial tips I give while you're wealth accumulating is floss. Um, get in there. Yeah, my dentist once said that floss is more important than a toothbrush. Your tongue's going to get most of this, the toothbrush stuff. But taking care of your teeth, it's it's underrated, but it's a big cost for uh, people on a set income, fixed income. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the whole thing. And then there's 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 some like there's holistic dentists out there too. You know, some people do things like oil pulling. Have you ever heard that for teeth, Rob? I have. I've heard it on your show. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of people that do that and tongue scraping. And oil pulling is one of the ways that people kind of help battle inflammation issues. And tongue scraping was torture in the 16th century. <laughs> yeah. So not that, not that type of tongue, tongue scraping. But I, I'm just seeing people spend more and more as, as research comes out in terms of anti-aging and, and battling inflammation in cells and keeping your cells healthy. I'm seeing people spend a lot of money on whether it's you know infrared saunas and cold plunges and uh, earthing or grounding mats and things like that to help keep your cells. Even I mean, people drink deuterium depleted water. You seen how expensive that stuff is? I don't look because I don't drink it. <laughs> well, you might want to. So I'll I'll uh, create a, a page on the site, the Chad Burton Fountain of Youth. I still drink out of the, the the hose in the yard, and what's funny about that is I'm drinking out of my neighbor's hose to save money on the cash on uh, water. I think we all wash the car every once in a while and like get that quick spray into the mouth. And yep, the hose still tastes like crap. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, that's kind of where I was getting at with it. Yep. <laughs> but as a kid, you didn't know the difference. Um, so unexpected costs, and we got about two minutes, two and a half minutes left in the segment. Uh, that could be a, just a psychologically a crushing thing for a senior, uh, because that fixed income when when you're when it's depleted, it's depleted on that monthly basis, and you kind of know your your gig is up when you see that that new roof that's now forty thousand, but you remember it was ten thousand when you first put it on thirty years ago. So um, you don't <sighs> want to be shocked. Or the the you know grandma that um, somebody comes by and says, Hey, I can fix your roof for $20,000. If you pay me $10,000 now, I'll be back tomorrow with all the supplies. And then they never show up. That's a big scam that happens to seniors all the time, which is really, really sad. Uh, enabling kids that, you know, are always in financial trouble and mom or dad just continues to give them money that they can't afford to give them. I see that all the time. Um, I've seen people being swindled by one of their kids, uh, on, you know, Bad startup investments, fake startup investments are just outright being stolen from. So, you know, watch out for your parents. If, if you have, if you suspect anything, any foul play or anything, find out ways that you can help them watch their finances. I think that's important that you bring up because one of the other things that you just brought up is that seniors get swindled by a, a guy who knocks on the door and says, I'll do your roof for 10,000, give me a deposit kind of thing. But they also, they're just lonely and they want to talk. 
with that said, if you want to talk about financial planning, you can contact CFP Chad Burton. He is at chadburton.com. He and I both owned New Focus Financial many for many, many, many years, and we both joined EP Wealth. CFP Chad Burton is a regional director. You can find him online at chadburton.com. You can find his podcast in your phones under the podcast buttons. Look for New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. Reach out today to talk with him about financial planning. I'm Rob Black. Hey, 